There was a uh, surprise news item uh, very recently um, about a, um, uh, a figure, a doctor, I suppose, who um, um, President Trump was uh, touting, um, who was skeptical of some of the, the more, uh, you know, popular scientific, common scientific narratives about um, what's going on with COVID. And some people dug into her past a little bit and found that she... Um, had um, stated that certain uh, gynecological um, maladies could be traced back to um, having sex with demons in your dreams. Now, obviously, that's a that's a very unique take. Um, <laughs> but what was interesting about it was uh, it, it brought up this subject that. Um, <sighs> The idea, let's just say, of um, of demon sex, um, which was not really one that people talked about very much, um, and in this context seemed um, pretty weird. Um, but what it brought to mind for me is the this uh, really interesting Mesopotamian uh, story about these uh, uh, these people called the Apkalu, and you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this uh, shortly. So the Apkalu are these like kind of divine sages um, prior to uh, this global flood. Um, and basically they're the, these legendary creatures. They're endowed with all this great wisdom. Uh, there's seven of them all together. And they're, th they're these like kind of heroes from before the flood. Um, so there's there's different things that are said about them um they talk about um their great size they talk about them having um, some ancestry leading up to these uh, important uh, mesopotamian kings and scholars people who are kind of the ruling elite um and the other thing that's kind of interesting is they're described as not um so, okay so after the flood you have these um kind of semi-apkalu um, so, uh, th they're of like partial human descent. Um, one of them in particular, uh, after the flood is described as being only two thirds Apkalu. And so the idea is, the implication is, um, that these Apkalu are the result of sexual intercourse with human women. Um, so of course some of this you'll find in all kinds of mythology, especially when it comes to um, trying to um, legitimate um, a king's right to rule. They'll, they'll claim to be a descendant, or they would claim to be a descendant of a god. The question, okay, so, so what, what's why am I bringing this up? What, what's the significance of this? Well, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are these figures in the Old Testament um, that are pretty weird, um, kind of confusing, and they're called the Nephilim. So um, I'm going to start with a passage in Numbers, and I'm going to kind of work my way backwards. Okay, so in Numbers here, um, the Israelites are trying to sort of take over the land, and they keep running into these um, Nephilim or Nephilim-adjacent figures. So Numbers 13, 
28 through 33, says, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So that's numbers. Um, so basically they sent spies into the land to sort of figure out what's going on here. Can we take these guys? And then a few come back and they say, hey, these guys are enormous. Um, they're descendants of the Nephilim. Uh, and they're, you know, these, these sons of Anak. So who, who is Anak? What's this about? So the, we don't really necessarily know who Anak is, but we do know that his sons are described as Nephilim and that they're very tall. In fact, Nephilim probably means giants. Um, but it doesn't really, the text doesn't really tell us much more than that. But we can, we can kind of follow a trail of breadcrumbs by focusing on some keywords like Nephilim, Anak, Anakim, which means the, the, um, the people of Anak. So the first time we reread the word Nephilim in scripture is actually in Genesis 6, um, verse 1 through 5. Now it came about, I'm quoting here, when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. <clears throat> then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So some, um, you know, I guess some scholars, but basically, you know, some Bible teachers and pastors and, and also some church, a handful of church fathers and things, they've argued that um, sons of God is a code word, so a code phrase for this godly line of Adam and Eve's son, Seth. And the daughters of men is a code for this ungodly line of Cain. So the idea is, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> basically um, a nice family is shacking up with, uh, or members of a nice family are shacking up with members of a not so nice family. And that's where we get all these uh, mighty men of renown whom um, um, seem to have something to do with increasing wickedness on the earth and leading to God wanting to um, destroy uh, most of the earth with a, with a flood, or most of the people on the earth at the very least. So, but, but here are some problems with this, with this viewpoint. Um, the text never mentions or implies a line of Seth or a line of Cain. It's just not there. It's actually not only not there, it's nowhere. So you can't, you can't find that anywhere in the, in the Bible. Um, there's also no reason to think that normal human breeding uh, between families would produce offspring that are of peculiar size. Um, the term sons of God also only refers to angelic beings in the Old Testament. So, for example, Job 1.6 and 2.1. Um, and so if, if we know that sons of, men, sons of God um, has this angelic kind of divine being connotation, then daughters of men seems to be obviously contrast 
you know, where you have sons, you have daughters, where you have man, you have, you have God, you have man. So, and, and this phrase really though, it's really only used in this passage and it's almost certainly meant to be a contrast. So if the sons of God are angels, then the daughters of men are human beings. This is the plainest and most obvious reading of the passage. Um, so I think it's the one that we ought to go with. In other words, Genesis 6 seems to be saying that Nephilim were a large, uh, when I say large, I mean tall, <laughs> line of people that emerged when angels took on human forms and had sex with human women. So apart from Genesis 6, we read about the Nephilim and these sort of wandering and conquest narratives when Israel's sort of coming into the land. Uh, in Numbers 13, we read that they scared off the Israelites from coming in because of their great size. In Deuteronomy 2, 20 through 21, we uh, read that another group of giants called the Rephaim had lived in Ammon, but had been killed by the Ammonites with the blessing of God. So in Deuteronomy 3, we read the conquest of the land beyond the Jordan seems to have been focused on destroying the Nephilim. Verse 11 tells us, For only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. When we, so, big bed. When we get to Joshua, we read in chapter 11 that Joshua cut off the Anakim from the hill country of Judah and Israel, utterly destroying their cities. Verse 22 reads, There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Some remained. It seems to suggest that at least one of the motivations for the more violent parts of the conquest were to wipe out the Nephilim. Um, you might have noticed that Joshua reads that one of the few places that still had Nephilim was a city of Gath. Um, if you've if you're a bit you know if you've read your Old Testament, you, you might think Gath. Where, where have I heard that? Oh, I know where I've heard Gath. First uh, Samuel seventeen four. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Old Testament scholar Dr. Michael Heiser argues in his book, The Unseen Realm, that the Nephilim, instead of owing their existence directly to God, were produced by other divine beings who were hostile to God. The Nephilim, uh, quote, did not belong to Yahweh, uh, this is the biblical name for God, and he therefore had no interest in claiming them. Coexistence was not possible with the spawn of other gods, and that reading the land of these bloodlines was the motivation, uh, unquote, for holy war. Um, now, this understanding of the sons of God being angels and not the line of Seth is supported by Jewish teaching uh, between the Testaments, between the Old and New Testaments. Early church consensus uh, pretty much agrees on it up until St. Augustine in the 4th century, and even the New Testament itself. Jude 5-7, through 7, Now I want to remind you, although you know everything once and for all, that Jesus, being saved, uh, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt the second time, destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but deserted their proper dwelling place. He has kept in eternal bonds under deep gloom for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the towns around them indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire in the same way as these are exhibited as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So the angels left their, uh, did not keep their own domain. They deserted their proper dwelling place. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the towns around them indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So the angels who deserted their domain are charged with sexual morality and compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Jude also quotes the book of Enoch in this section. The book of Enoch is a, uh, a book written between the Testaments also that very strongly holds to this idea of um, angels um, coming down and having sex with women. Um, I think that's also significant. So if, if, if Jude is quoting Enoch uh, wh while he's talking about angels um, having sex, uh, engaging in sexual immorality, it's pretty obvious what he's got in mind. So I, a takeaway here, I think, is that the Bible's written from a supernatural worldview, and modern people have often sought to diminish that worldview. Um, we don't like too much supernatural. We're, we're, I think we're constantly bargaining with God um, to get the supernatural beings down, you know? So, so like, you know, like, oh, angels and demons, can we get rid of that? And, and some people even said, ah, Trinity, I mean, that feels like three gods. Maybe we can just, you know, get that down to sort of one, you know, disinterested Unitarian God. So we're, we're constantly trying to diminish this, this supernatural worldview while still wanting to kind of hold on to the Bible. So passages like, like these, they tend to get reinterpreted to make them fit into our own perspective, something that uh, feels more comfortable for uh, kind of a Western uh, rationalistic mindset where um, the supernatural, we, we want to keep as small as possible. But I think even if you end up concluding like some kind of a spiritual reading here, um, so let's, so let's say that's not literal history, right? So maybe there um, is some spiritual meaning. Maybe um, maybe it's a polemic. Maybe what's going on is that um, um, this notion of uh, these sort of pagan divine kings um, who have this divine authority to rule, maybe that's what's being attacked. And maybe, maybe you don't need to interpret all this literally. That's possible. Sure, that's possible. But I think... If you, you at the very least have to come to terms with what the text says, the message is important because it has to do with God reclaiming uh, his lost children and judging the gods of the nations. It also points forward to how Jesus uh, fixes what fallen humans and angels have messed up, um, where angels had sex with women to create a race of divine hybrids that corrupted the world and led to God destroying it with a flood. God takes on human flesh and he joins himself to humanity to heal our crookedness and bring us back into a relationship with God. So it's kind of a reverse, uh, you know, Nephilim situation, right? So if we have to come to terms with the fact that the Bible says that, does that mean um, that we should give credence to the idea that if somebody um, has, for example, a yeast infection, um, that that is the result of them um, having uh, dreams where they are um, having sex with um, demons? Um, I would say no, I would say no. So, so I think um, there is, you know, a notion of the demonic having influence um, and, and even influence on natural things, you know? So where um, there are plenty of places where Jesus heals people of kind of natural um, ailments and there's no discussion of demonic possession or anything like that. There are also places where there's a healing and something demonic is blamed um, when a natural explanation is, is likely. I think what we, we would, we would want to say is that there is a supernatural realm um, where things are, are happening and going on and it influences the natural realm. Um, does that mean that if you have a yeast infection, it's because an angel had sex with you? Uh, I would say probably not. I, I think I'd want to see some pretty strong evidence that that's the case. Um, um, but I think even if you want to say that um, 
you know, illness and sickness and death and pain have a spiritual dimension, that there are these spiritual forces that are ultimately behind those, those terrible things. Um, I, I think that's perfectly valid. I think that's very biblical. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, you shouldn't take a doctor prescribed medication um, or that uh, you shouldn't try to trace back a natural cause either, right? You know, so if we want to say, um, you know, the reason people die is because uh, sin has entered the world and, uh, you know, the devil has the power of death. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, does that mean that the, instead of giving people life-saving surgeries, you should uh, rebuke the devil. Well, you, you can do both, sure. But, but I mean, I would go with the life-saving surgery at the very least, right? I mean, <laughs> um, deal with the natural issue that's going on, even if you believe there's a supernatural force behind it. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope you all uh, stay safe. Uh, be careful um, not to have any dream, dream sex with demons. Um, and uh, take your doctor-prescribed medication. <laughs> Thank you.